Well, we're in a series on Daniel um, called Undaunted. And we've been going, you know, thank you for Jacob, and thank you for Andy preaching the last couple of weeks while I've been gone. Um, and um, just we're walking through just how do we live in this culture that it may not be supportive of the things that we believe? How can we stand firm for being what we desire to be, what we desire to pursue God and honor Him? How can we stand that way, it, um, it, even against ourselves and, and even in a culture that may not encourage us in that process? And we see this examples through Daniel as going through the book. Um, in, in this week, we're going to hit an example where actually neither Daniel nor Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in danger. And this week, it's sort of a different scenario. And this week in chapter 4, the King Nebuchadnezzar actually is in an interesting situation. And, and we, we see in this chapter how um, Nebuchadnezzar learns a lesson the hard way. What happens to this lesson is he gets a dream and he, and he needs Daniel to interpret it, tell it what it means. And when he hears what it's, it means, he's sort of warned about something. He's warned about pride, actually. And he sort of doesn't respond, and he has to learn the hard way. The very hard way. Um, and, and so we're going to be talking about pride today. Um, and, and hopefully my, we can learn not the hard way. Uh, and we all have lessons that we've learned the hard way. I, I probably shared this one here before about one of my hard lessons. Uh, it's so stupid and embarrassing. But you know when you cut things, you're supposed to cut things away from you, right? You don't ever cut towards you. You don't cut like a carrot or peel or anything or, or sandy things. You always go away. Right? Same is true for hammering. You're hammering on things. You don't hammer towards you. You know, you hammer away from you. Well, I, I told you, this, I once was trying to fix a basketball goal that had gotten bent. And it fell on the ground. So it's like, it's, not, it's like flat on top and then rounded. And so I'm, I'm, I laid it down on the ground. I'm hammering it. And I'm doing the ultimate mistake of hammering towards me. And so I'm down on the ground hammering this goal. Going, king, 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 straight into my forehead. Straight into my forehead, Split, thick, you know, blood's coming out. I'm like, I, I'm all by myself outside. I stagger to the front door, you know, and then Teresa's, you know, I got blood coming down everywhere. You know, lesson learned the hard way. So take it from me, don't hammer towards your face. Okay, now, now I hope that you can learn that lesson the easy way. That you don't have to go out and smash your head with a metal hammer and split your skin and have blood all over your face and shirt and give your wife a heart attack. Hopefully you can learn from my words, don't hammer towards yourself. Hammer away from yourself. Away from yourself. And so that, that's a lesson I learned the hard way, and I'm hoping you can learn the easy way. Okay, learn from my example. Now, now Nebuchadnezzar was given, an example, he was given an opportunity to learn about pride the easy way. He, he had actually had a dream. He had a warning. He had this whole thing set up where God's saying, hey, look, I'm sovereign. I'm in charge. You aren't. And so you need to make sure you know that. And I mean, we'll read the story. I mean, this, the chapter's broken out pretty straightforward. It's in hindsight. It's actually a letter from Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, God's awesome. He's incredible. He really is in charge. And let me tell you a story about that. And then he tells his dream and how Daniel interprets his dream and how Daniel warns him. And then how he's punished for not responding. And then at the end he goes like, yeah, God's sovereign. God's in control. God's really the guy. Pride's not a good thing. Okay, so we're going to walk through that story today in Daniel. We're going to read it and talk it through. But my hope is, is that we'll get that lesson. Pride is an interesting thing. Some people would even say it's sort of like the fountain of sins, um, that it's sort of underneath a lot of sins that sort of just grow out of it. It's, it's this concept almost that we are praising ourselves, whether internally in our thoughts 
or through our actions we're trying to draw attention to ourselves, or through our words we're trying to, to point and build up ourselves. It's almost as if we're praising ourselves. And it's almost as if we're saying, I'm going to exclude God and I'm going to draw attention to me. And, and, and it, it, it bleeds into tons of other things. I mean, some would even say, somebody, that, you know, the, the story of Satan's fall, sort of, it's given in Ezekiel 28 about how he was created as, as the, 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 the most powerful angel, most beautiful angel, and he turned away because of his pride. He went from being this powerful angel to being the opponent of God because of pride. In, in the garden, they were, they were tempted to eat the food. Why? So that they would be like God. It's this, they're appealing to pride. There's this pride that sort of plays itself out. And, and, and it plays out again and again and again and again. And, and it's not related to political party. I mean, I, I remember they, Obama would give speeches and they, all, the, all the Republicans would count. He used the word I 54 times in a 17-minute speech. You know? And then the same thing Democrats say, oh, Donald Trump thinks he's the only person in the whole world can solve the problems. It's everything about Trump. I mean, pride has no, you know, no political party has the you know, reins on pride. It's everywhere. From king to commoner, from president to pauper, it doesn't matter whether 5, 55, or 105, we're all beset by this focus on ourselves, by this desire to lift ourselves up. And the problem is what happens and what it turns into. Because it doesn't just sit there where we just go, oh, I'm, I'm awesome. It then begins to play out in, in, in how we look at ourselves. We begin to say, hey, look, if I'm succeeding, if I'm successful, then I'm something. If I'm not successful, then I'm... Nothing. <laughs> exactly. Nothing. You know, and, and it begins to, to, to get this comparison game with other people. We say, oh, I'm good, and for me to feel good, I've got to be better, and that means I need you to be worse. And we compare, and we contrast, and we set up standards, and it, and it just plays itself out in relationships. And the other thing about pride is you don't, you don't see it in yourself first. It's like when your zipper's... No, thankfully, mine's not unzipped today. But it's like when your zipper's unzipped, other people see it first. And they're like looking at you going, you know. Or if you have something on your face, they see it first. And they're like, get that off your face. No, pride's the same way. We don't see it first. Other people see it in us. And it's not a pretty thing. Not many of us want to hang around people who are arrogant and prideful. Because they see how that plays out in relationships. And we don't really see it first. And, and sometimes we get a long way down the road before it, you know, before it rears its ugly head and we go, oh crud, I, I got a problem here. And when, I tell you, this week, you'll read the news, someone's going someone's gonna to do something stupid because of their pride. It's going to happen this week. It's going to happen today. It may even happen to someone in this room. Pride is very, very real. And it leads to all sorts of disastrous things. It also leads to missed opportunities. Because when we're proud, we're focused on ourselves. We miss the beauties of relationships. We miss the opportunities to do things together. We miss the opportunities to build and encourage one another up. We miss all sorts of things because of pride. We not only encourage awful things, we miss beautiful things. So my hope today is that we look at this passage, that we won't just get a lecture on pride, that we won't just get a historical account of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But honestly, that I, me, Tim struggles with pride, that each one of you here, who all of us struggle with pride in different areas of our lives, that we'll have, a, have, a, have, a, have an encounter with God and we'll invite the Spirit of God to, to sort of look inside of us and do a little assessment and say, hey, these are some areas that I need to be careful of. 
This is an area where I'm not drawing attention to God, but I'm trying to draw attention to me. And so, so, so my hope is that we can just have a, a, of a time where we can look at the Word of God and consider what He's speaking to us. And we can sort of make this commitment at the end. And so I sort of phrased the main point this week as sort of a commitment. And it says this. It just says, we will praise God, not ourselves. There's, we're going to be people who are about God getting glory, not us getting glory. So the answer to pride is not this debased view of ourselves that we're worthless and, and, are, and are like need to be ground in the dirt. The antidote to pride is an accurate view of God, of who He is. And so we're going to be people who are about praising God, not ourselves. And so we're going to walk through the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 4. Daniel's hard to find, so if you have a, a paper Bible, there's a thing in the Bible called a table of contents. <laughs> Feel free to use it. It's at the front of the Bible. Okay, and you can pull in there, it'll tell you exactly what page Daniel's on. I can cheat because I have a bookmark and I'm prepared beforehand. But, so Daniel, it's towards the end of the Old Testament, but Daniel Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Sabadiah. We memorized the books of the Bible through a rap song years ago, but I got to be in the groove to, to get it going. Okay, so Daniel 4. You ready? We're going to read it. And I'm going to pause as we go. It's a long chapter, so I'll make some comments as we go, and then we'll come back and, and focus on a few verses. Here we go. I almost want to say King Neb. It'll save us time, but that's okay. King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, to the nations... Remember what I said. He starts off with a letter. He's got it all right, and he's recounting what happened. And at the end, he talks about how he's got it all. He's learned the lesson. And in the middle is how he learned it the hard way. Okay, so here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar. This is from him. To the nations and peoples of every language who live on the earth. Live in all the earth, excuse me. May you greatly... May you prosper greatly. I've got to start reading it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This is what you call shame, redemptive shame. The Most High wonders he performed for him was actually to humble him. But here we go. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. See, he's got it there. He's got the right view of God there. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. So now he's backing up, telling the story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon, and he's king, he can take and tell them all to come. I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me and interpret the dream for me. And so this time he told them the dream instead of telling them to come up with it. So he goes, he called them in to interpret the dream. So when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, finally, Daniel came in my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in the branches. From it, every creature was fed. 
In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called out in a loud voice, Cut down the tree, and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven. So you can tell he's first given an image of a tree, and now he's sort of making it clear this is actually a person. He goes, let him be drenched with dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living God, so the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Now that, that phrase, I'm going to read that verse again, verse 17. That actually happens three times. And this is sort of the point. This is the warning he's given to Nebuchadnezzar. He's trying to make sure he knows and he acknowledges that God is sovereign and God's in charge. I'll read verse 17 again and you'll see it a couple other times as we're reading. This decision announced by the messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth. He gives to them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of my wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Then Daniel also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said to him, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. So here's the interesting thing. It's pretty obvious the dream's negative. Right? I mean, you got a big tree, everything's great, it's going to get cut down and bound. You know, these going to be turned into like this raving lunatic for a bunch of years. Um, that's not really a positive story. I mean, do you wonder why the rest of them couldn't interpret it? Everybody knows it's negative. Who wants to tell the king that it's him? Does anyone? And the king even knows it's negative. He goes, like, don't be afraid. He's like, I need somebody to tell me. Don't be afraid. Everybody knows it's negative. And so I, was, I can't guarantee you, promise you 100% the other guys could interpret it, but I, I can promise you they weren't wanting to interpret a negative dream to the king. Okay, so, but here we go. And then Daniel, it says... At the end of, we're still going on in verse 19 it is. So Belshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw which grew large and strong and its top touching the sky, visible to the earth, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty... You are the tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. It's pretty impressive. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field where its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. This is the degree the most high is issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from the people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge 
Here it is again. But the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth, and He gives to anyone He wishes. The command to leave the stump in the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may that then your your, your prosperity will continue. I want to pause here before we get the point. Sidebar. Daniel was not afraid to speak the truth even to those in power, even though it was a negative message. And especially so when they're wanting to know the answer. I'm not saying this is a, this is a passage that means we need to go out and Bible bash people and tell them they're going to hell and da 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 But what I am saying is that we're having conversations with people about eternity and God and salvation. We've got to have the confidence and the courage to say, yeah, I believe the Bible teaches that the only way I can have a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not an easy message to say. We're not doing anyone any favors by withholding that truth. So Daniel's a great model of speaking the truth, um, especially when people are interested in asking even to people in power. But we'll continue on. That's not the main point here. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace. So, so, so you, you get the setup. He has this dream where he's told, you know, because you're not acknowledging that I'm sovereign, you're going to be like made into a beast. I mean, it's, it's, he's, this is the opportunity to learn the easy lesson. He's got a dream. He's got Daniel interpreting it. It's got repetition. The main point's clear. You need to acknowledge the Most High is sovereign. He's in charge. You aren't. And if you do that, things are good. Okay, so that's, that's all set up. So this, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, to King Neb. Verse 29. Twelve months later, so maybe he got it for a little while. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof, or maybe God was just patient. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Read that again. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I read that wrong again. Did I read that right? Okay. You get the point. He's basically saying... This is awesome stuff I've done, that I've done, and it's for my glory and majesty. He's like saying, I, I'm the bomb, basically. He's looking at his city, and he drops the mic. <laughs> and he's right. I mean, you can go back and read historical accounts. Babylon was a rectangular city. It had walls, inner walls, outer walls, had moats. And then he built another set of walls outside of that. He had a 400-foot bridge spanning the Euphrates River. He had the outer walls where I think it was 40 feet high. You could have four chariots abreast riding around 16 miles of wall. He had one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens, built in Babylon. This was one awesome dude. He built... He 
was the most powerful person in the known world. He had, they had subjected the Assyrians. They had, they had driven back the Egyptians. And you know, so they weren't anything. They had taken over this whole, the whole world, basically. This is one dude. I mean, he could say, yeah, I, I'm the bomb. I'm it. And there's a lot of truth in it. There's also a big exclusion. He thinks that he actually accomplished it himself. He excludes God from the picture. He thinks that I've gotten all this done because it depends on me. That's the nature of pride. We exclude God and draw attention to us. It's interesting. There's, a, there's, a, there's all sorts of illustrations. <clears throat> Here's a simple one. This is a great book. Difficult Conversations. A fantastic book. Multiple authors. Great book. But what if one of them said, I, Douglas Stone, wrote this book. Is he, is he, is he being correct? If he, if he just like takes the highlighter and marks out the other names. No, no, they didn't have these other books. Douglas Stone. Doug, thank you, Douglas. I'm Douglas Stone. Thank you very much. I wrote this book. You know, thank you very Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now he's leaving out the other people that wrote the book. It's completely disingenuous. Disingenuous. Whatever, how do you want to say that? But it's wrong. It's not accurate. But we do that all the time. We think that the things that we accomplish, the things that we do, are really basically because we're just so good. We just are. There's an interesting story Walter Kaiser tells about at the funeral of Napoleon. I'd have to read it. I think it's Napoleon. Yeah, but they, basically they, they had it in the French cathedral, and they wanted. Oh no, it was Louis the Fourteenth. Excuse me, it was Louis the Fourteenth, and he wanted. They had used to have all these all these candles all over the, the cathedral, and, and it's just lights and you know giving glory everywhere, whatever else. And he's like, I don't want any candles to anybody. I want one candle to me on the tomb. So that's how the, the, the cathedral was set up. All glory to Louis the Fourteenth. Candle. The guy gets up to preach the sermon. He walks over to the candle and goes. He goes, only God is great. Only God is great. And Robert Kaiser, he says, we all need to walk around all the time saying that to ourselves. Because we're all like Louis XIV. We're all like little Nebuchadnezzars running around saying, I'm awesome. I mean, how many times a day do we say, I, me, we draw attention to ourselves. We naturally do. And it's just not healthy and it's also not realistic. It's just like covering up all the authors on a book. I mean, I have had the privilege to travel all over the world. And I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't choose not to be born in a little shack next to a dump, a public dump with no parents and scavenging for food. I didn't choose where I was born or what I did. How dare I take credit for that? But we do it all the time. We begin to think that the rules don't apply to us. That we are really so important that we've accomplished so much. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And it's a dangerous place to be. 
There's this interesting Proverbs. It's Proverbs 3.34 and it's quoted by James and by Peter. The proverb goes by like this. It's pretty simple. Proverbs are ways that are generally true that normally the way things play out. And here's the proverb. You ready? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble or lifts up the humble. Pretty simple. So if you want to be in a sport on the team opposite God, have pride. Because He opposes people who are proud. If you want to line up as a lineman against God and get knocked flat on your back, be proud. Pride is something that is just, it's just antithetical to God because it's saying, God, I don't really affirm that you're in charge. I don't affirm that you're in control. I don't really believe that you actually are the only one who deserves glory. I need a fair bit of that myself. And I'm going to cover up your name, God, on my life story. I'm going to cover up your name, God, on, on, my, on, the, on the story of my life and the accomplishments and who all I am. I'm going to cover up your name. I'm going to exclude you and draw attention to me. God didn't have a lot of patience for that. And nor should he. So. So the, the, the commitment I want us to make is that we will praise God not ourselves. So let's just try to make this a pattern and a habit. But instead of talking about the things that we do, we talk about how thankful we are for what God has enabled to happen. Or we, or we, or we, or we point to the things that God does for us. That we, instead, instead, of, instead of drawing attention to ourselves, instead of saying all these things that we've done, we say, we, we, we actually bring God into the picture. We actually try to draw attention to God. One way that helps me with this, it's a simple thing. Um, it's not enough. Um, but like in my quiet times, you know, you know when you pray, you know the acronym Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. The ac- acronym for ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Adoration would like help you get the picture God's in control. Okay? I, I, I confess, I don't always pray through the acronym. I don't take enough time to sort of walk through the whole thing. But what I try to do, at least in my quiet times... I try to read my Bible, do stuff. But before I leave that, I try to at least have a period of thanks. I just sit there and I say, thank you. I look at the day before, I say, thank you, God, for this. And that, that, that for me personally, helps me shift my mind. But I'm saying, thank you, God, for what you have done. And, and it helps me have this, this realization that he really is the one in control. That he is bringing things about. That he is causing things to take place. That he has put me in this circumstance. That he is at work. That he does love me. That he is around. That he is engaged. And he is actually the sovereign one, not me. We were talking about in life. One guy said, he goes, actually, I do that in the morning and the night. I'm like, good idea. He goes, I start the morning saying thanks and I start the evening saying thanks. Before I go to bed. I'm like, that's a great, that's just a very simple, practical, tangible thing to do. I'm like, good. And just a simple question I would just ask for reflection. Is that in my thoughts, in my words, and in my actions, am I drawing attention to God or myself?
You say, hey God, what is one area in my life that I struggle with pride? Man, man, what I'd encourage you to do is just to say, hey, just, just to ask those questions and just say, hey God, reveal to me. Because man, I don't, I don't, I don't want to miss out what you have for me, God. And I also don't want to fall down and dishonor. And I also don't want to destroy my relationships. And I don't, I, just, I, I don't want this to be an issue. So God, will you reveal to me an area that I, in my life that I'm self-deceived, which means by definition I don't see because I'm self-deceived. You know, is, is there an area in my life that I'm not seeing where I'm proud? In my words, in my actions, in my thoughts. Because I want to draw attention to you, not me. Okay, so let, let's try to be these people who will say, we will praise God and not ourselves. Because he is sovereign. He is in control. And he alone is God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you for the privilege we have to learn from his hard learning lesson. God, each one of us have been humbled in various times. Each one of us has done stupid things and found ourselves flat on our back and embarrassed and humiliated. A lot of times we just need that. A lot of times we just need a, either a good kick in the pants or a good embarrassment just, just to help get our attention. And God, we know that you don't do that to, because you take delight in that, but you do that for our good. Because you know that when we begin to think that we are God, when we begin to think that we're the, the point that the universe circumnavigates, that goes around, that rotates around, that we begin to think that we're more important than the people around us, that everything else goes wrong. When we take our eyes off the Savior Jesus Christ, who was God, and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we forget that model, everything goes wrong. And so God, as a community, we say we want to be the people who will praise you and not ourselves. We say that we as a community want to encourage one another to set aside pride, to set aside selfish ambition, to set aside the pursuit of all these things that just lead to us feeling better and puffed up and ignoring you. Help us. Help us to walk humbly with one another and with you. To extend your grace to all those around us. And to enjoy your sovereignty and leadership in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray.